You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast, where we take a look at one thing, how to make you better. Because if we make you better, your practice gets better, your life gets better. And today is no exception. I've got a good friend of mine, a good mentor of mine, Dr. John Cranham, who has really helped me understand the mind of restorative dentists and how to think better. And today we're going to be talking about how to build your cosmetic practice within your practice. And so I love this topic and I'm going to ask him to re-clarify or unveil some of the secrets he shared with me in the past and how relevant they are still today in this digital workflow. So John, thanks for being on again and again and again. Yeah, my pleasure. This is something I always look forward to and particularly so this time because it is a uh, topic I love to talk about. So yeah, and selfishly, I love every hour I get with you because I get another page of notes and another page of notes, and it's really, really good stuff. And I'm telling you guys, if you're listening today, like really absorb the thinking behind this because it'll make your life better. And now, um, a lot of people know who you are. I always like a little bit of an intro just in case because we got a lot of young listeners. So who's Dr. John Cranham here? Yeah, I've been practicing since uh, 1988, Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, I have a practice that is sort of focused on uh, general practice, uh, do advanced restorative dentistry, do some TMD, do some implants, do some cosmetic dentistry. Uh, been an active educator since 95. Uh, had my own thing, Cranham Dental Seminars, for a while and then merged with the Dawson Academy in 1994 and was their active clinical director and, and third owner until uh, 2020. And at that point, stepped away. I was really intrigued by a lot of the things that was happening in the digital world um, that I was immersing myself in. I wanted time to work on it. And plus, my daughter finished dental school and wanted to spend some time teaching her. And so since then, uh, I have partnered up with Lee Culp and have created Cranham Culp Digital Dental. And our focus is uh, accelerating the transition um, of digital dentistry uh, to the dental, the global dental community. So we're coaching docs and helping docs implement 100% digital workflows into their practice. Uh, not necessarily doing nuts and bolts because we assume that, but more when they're doing larger cosmetic cases and reconstructions and implants and things like that. So it's been really, really, really fun uh, yeah. time doing all this. So. That's all. And one of the many things, I mean, there's a lot of things I love and appreciate about you, but you're always pushing the envelope. I'll forever tell the story. Cosmetic occlusal connection. Like you couldn't write a worse title for a lecture at the time and people were coming to it. And so I'm like, okay, this guy's going to get blown up. And people used to call you out. I won't mention the guy's name, but one guy started an argument with you in the middle of a lecture. And I'm like, wow, you are, you love just living in the eye of the hurricane here. And so we're going to talk about like the conversion over to digital. And the other thing I like about this topic, buddy, is the, uh, you know, Pete told me at the age of 24, you can build a practice within your practice. And now we're going to take it a step further about building your cosmetic practice in your practice. Just talk about that, would you? 
Yeah. And I, and again, I, I don't think it's that big of a leap because I do think that's what Pete taught me to do way back was to, you know, he believed that if you could learn to solve your patient's problems, whether they were a biologic problem or a occlusal problem or an aesthetic problem, if you could solve your patient's problems, that you would always have things to do. And so, you know, I, I, what I love about cosmetic dentistry is that with my training and background in occlusion from Dr. Dawson, um, I learned really early that there were a lot of people that had ugly smiles because of underlying functional problems. And, you know, form follows function and function follows form. And it became my gateway into restoring and helping people become more healthy biologically and functionally, even though they may have been driven by aesthetics. Right. And so, and so, but the other thing that really became apparent to me is you could do the most beautiful occlusal reconstruction in the world. And if it looked ugly, people didn't have any desire to pay for it. So yeah. to me, cosmetic dentistry was just a natural fit into doing complete dentistry. And, but here's the thing, here's that practice within the practice. What you learn is that when you start treating like a smile or you start treating an occlusion, you do start looking at things differently because you need more information. You can't just have four bite wings and some probings mm -hmm. and an exam. You have to start visualizing where teeth go in space and learn where teeth go in space from, from the cosmetic standpoint. So smile design is a big part of that. And then you also have to learn how you have to have an occlusal philosophy and, and to learn how you're going to make teeth fit together and where the joints are going to be and you know all that stuff. And so with that, in your practice day to day, you have to have the capacity and the ability to gather that data efficiently, have a time and place where you're gonna study it and visualize it and, and do that mock-up or wax-up or design, digital design, which we'll talk about, and really be able to three-dimensionally visualize and space where you're gonna go. And then you have to have the ability to communicate to the patient and motivate them of what you're gonna do, which is the word sales, which we know like like to talk about, but for people to accept treatment, they have to believe in what you, um, what you're saying and then have confidence in you. And yeah. so we'll talk about that. Yeah. So the practice within the practice to me is, you know, figuring out how much of my time as a general dentist that I'm going to spend doing kind of these specialty procedures and what is going to be my balance on the general side doing yeah my bread and butter. And I know you love that. Kind I freaking, okay, no, wait, wait, pause right there. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite. So if you're a young dentist listening, this is why you're going to listen. You got to listen to this whole podcast. Cause John helped me understand like the balance between the two, you know, any dentist that tells you, Oh yeah, I do full mouth cases. First of all, that sounds horrible and they're probably lying and you're going to be mentally exhausted anyway. And you need a good balance of them. And then you mentioned to me before we hit the go button, how you just get a few cases like this. They fall right to the bottom line. Can you explain that? Well, the first thing that I, I think that, that I'd say is when I was training with Dr. Dawson, say my 30s, you know, I was listening to, I would go to down to St. Pete and listen to him and I would see, you know, full mouth after full mouth after full mouth. And so in my mind, I kind of felt like a loser if I was back in my office doing like a DO composite or a three unit bridge, if I wasn't like working on some huge case, I wasn't happy. I hate to say that, but I kind of went through that. And and then one day I sort of realized as long as I had dental hygienists hanging around, we were gonna, there was going to be little things that I had to do. And so I had to balance it. And I had to, and, and then I also had the, the realization kind of in about, well, when, it, when, the, when the first real downturn in the economy hit, that a lot of the big cases dried up, like they, they stopped happening. And I had some friend, a friend in Virginia Beach who was just doing large cases. And I mean, he, he was really hurting where all of a sudden my general side and my TMD side, like I do a lot of TMD treatment. Well, you have a downturn in the uh, economy, TMD problems go up, <laughs> headaches go up and pain goes up. And I, and I had those things to kind of do. So, so the first thing I would say is, I think the health, healthiest practices that I've seen and the people that I've coached and, and taught over the years are those ones that, that have like this 
really healthy general practice. They've got a couple hygienists and and they are good at bread and butter dentistry and single crowns and they're they've got a good perio department and all the things that make for a healthy general dental business. And if you can get to the point where your salary and your bills are being paid out of that general practice, and then you take two, three, four days a month to block to do a large case, well, after you pay the lab bill, all that money falls to the bottom line. It becomes your fastest way to really significantly increase your income. Yeah. And so, and, and to your point, Kirk, you know, not only the, not only the economics of it from the standpoint of kind of the risks of economies going up and down and big cases waxing and waning a little bit. I just think that like at 60 right now, mm-hmm. I kind of like my general dental days. <laughs> yeah. Like- wait, no, wait, wait. You got to further define the aerobic thing. You were the first dentist I had yeah. ever heard talk to the, about the aerobic the transition just from a mental standpoint during the week, aerobic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I look at aerobic dentistry as dentistry where I'm often will be working with two assistants in two rooms. And I tend to be doing maybe one tooth dentistry or quadrant dentistry. I'm doing more procedures and they are typically procedures that I can do with blindfolded. Right. Um, and, and we're using, we're usually not making changes to the occlusion. You know, we're working in the habitual occlusion, whether the patient's been equilibrated or not, we're working with the patient's bite. So I'm just putting restorations in the bite. Um, There's not, you know, it's anesthetic handpiece. You can move pretty quick and you're working with assistants that can make provisionals. You can bounce around. And I would say that the vast, that's where the vast majority of general, of dentistry probably is, probably 98% of it. Yeah. When I start thinking about specialty time, specialty time is typically when I'm making, when there's more cerebral stuff going on. Yeah. Like if I'm doing a cosmetic case and I'm changing where the teeth are in space, I need time when I'm prepping and checking my, you know, checking my uh, preps very carefully when I'm putting my provisionals in, making sure my incisal edge is the right length and I've got my guidance the way I want, like all those things that yeah. go on. And it also typically is time that is not as predictable of how much, how long it's going to take me. So I tend to schedule yeah. a little bit more time, Yeah. but it's, but you're making it, the productivity per hour is so high because you're doing multiple teeth. Right. I don't understand why doctors wouldn't just take a morning to do it really and have all the time they need to, you know, but that's, yeah. Another thing we joked about about 10 years ago is like, I wanted to come in there and just wrap strap a heart rate monitor around you during those cases, because you were saying it's probably going to be up to 130 beats a minute as where the aerobic dentistry, right. is a little bit less than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and typically like, especially if you're doing something first, like my, my daughter was impressing sort of her first 10 unit case today. And she had attempts before, and you know, I was watching her. And at the end of the day, she's just freaking smoked. And I, I know if I put a heart rate monitor <laughs> when all that was going on, she was spiking. Yeah. Um, you know, I started placing implants not too long ago, and and the people are like, "Why at fifty six are you starting to place implants?" And I'm like, "I needed the heart rate. I needed the." You know, and and no. so I do. I do like having that. I do like that. I mean, yeah. I like. I'm a type of person. I don't want it all the time, but. I like having the challenge mixed into the, the, the regular stuff. But at the same time, if I've had a bunch, you know, a couple of big cases in the row and I hit, you know, kind of a aerobic day where it's more nuts and bolts, I kind of like that too. Yeah. Now um, also in our pre-show where you're talking about, you know, there's, there, there's a million reasons to think this way. And one of the, one of the reasons are the risks that happen doing all cosmetic. Like, can you talk about like, Hey, listen, I get it, but there's a lot of risks going that direction too. Well, the, the first thing you, the first thing that people have to understand is, you know, you tend to look at, you know, maybe you're going to charge, I don't know, 1400 $1,500 a unit, maybe a thousand dollars a unit, whatever it is. And you start thinking, well, I'm going to do 10 teeth. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to prep 10 teeth. And then, you know, three hours, I'm going to make ten dollars or $15,000. And it sounds like, you know, well, if I get a good lab and it's 300 units, it still sounds like a fortune. And that, and that is true if everything goes great. 
right? But if the patient starts having a temporary and then you got to remake the temporary or, or God forbid you get the case back and you cut off all the temporaries, now you're trying it in the shades wrong, or God forbid you get the case on and then the patient doesn't like it. Because the one thing you got to remember about cosmetic dentistry is the occlusion can be dead on, the restorations can be fitted perfect with perfect margins or near perfect margins. Um, but if the patient isn't, doesn't love it, the patient doesn't like it, it's kind of a failure. So, you know, I've had to, not thankfully not very many, but I've had to go in and remove restorations on <clears throat> some big cases. And, you know, when you, when you, you want to talk about a horrible feeling, but when you see a burr spending 200,000 RPMs and hitting perfectly beautiful porcelain, um, that you didn't put on very long ago. That just sucks, man. I mean, yeah. That's just terrible. Okay. And you also you also become acutely aware that every minute that you're now putting in this case, you're now no longer doing something on the general side of your practice that maybe the productivity per hour doesn't appear as high. Right. But the great thing about general dentistry is it's very predictive. We usually touch things one time and if you're fortunate enough to be working in a fee-for-service practice or or maybe a blend and you know some of it's fee-for-service we still do pretty well like our margins are still pretty good right right true so or, we, yeah, yeah let me ask so, you true true or false and i kind of know the answer to this and this is you know this is the price you pay for get higher fee higher expectations on patient side yeah i mean they're, they're yeah higher expectations you know these are the people that are gonna you know, high fee i mean you know, I've had people that bring in a 10x mirror and they're holding it behind their front teeth, talking about the talking about the the dark grooves on the lingual of their central incisors, and asking me if I could just cut the crowns off because they didn't like that. You know, I go, well, I can remove this the little stain that the freaking ceramist spent an hour putting in there. You know, yeah. I mean, so so you're right. And and the other thing is, what's amazing is that's where sometimes the patients will forget where they were. Right. You know, they could, like their mouths could have been an absolute mess. Um, I've got a guy right now that we did upper and lower all on six restorations and his mouth was a train wreck. And we're actually, I just unscrewed. That's a great thing about all in four, we can unscrew it. But I sent it back to Lee because he felt like there was just a little too much gingival stain at the neck of the teeth and he wants he, and the teeth are white like he wanted them sharp white but mm. he wants a sharper demarcation between the tissues and, and to me which is going to look artificial but wow. that's one thing about implant dentistry that is nice is it's retrievable and you can make some of those changes cosmetic cases once they're bonded on man you got to be sure yeah so and again you know the great thing about where we are today i think it's gotten easier i do think it's gotten easier because 15, 20 years ago when it was, you know, slide film and there was no imaging and there was no real way. We have so many ways now, like with our three shapes, the 2D imaging we can do so rapidly. I can get a really good feel showing what their teeth look like in the, their face, the contour, the color, and find out what they want. And that is a huge benefit because then we can wax it or do the digital design accordingly. And then, of course, the provisional step is really the test where you kind of figure that out. But my point is, is you, just from the conversation, you can see there's a definite process here. You know, when you go to the specialist specialty side that I think a lot of dentists underestimate. OK, and, I, I want to ask you about that. You're going to have to text your family because we're going to turn this into a three hour show because I have a course. <laughs> no, I love this stuff. And I want to ask you about like a lot of the now let's go into the how a little bit. So people can one of the things that you taught me was like the the, the designation between specialty and general. Where did that come from? How do you use it? How do you use it every week, every day communicating with your team? What is it? Yeah, so for me. The way it was born out of the idea, quite frankly, of being a little bit frustrated. Um, and again, Dr. Dawson was my mentor, loved him to death, but I was having a, a hard time doing what he was doing. And it occurred to me one day that he actually had other dentists with him, Glenn Dupont and some other people that were doing a lot of the general dentistry. And he was really, at the end of his career, just a high end people. I mean, all he did was big cases. And that's what he did. 
Um, and so I had to find a way to make this fit in my practice. And so what I realized was this practice that I was building within my practice, <clears throat> whether it was, you know, a wear case that I was going to be doing 14 preps on or, um, you know, an implant case or, or cosmetic case is that I needed to designate it in a way so that the pa when my staff understood that if it was a gen if it was a specialty patient, then and I was prepping it, they knew that was the only thing I was working on. Mm -hmm. So in room two, they don't put against it buckle pit, you know, right. uh, denture adjustment, splint adjustment. They know during a specialty case that I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it and. I might finish 30 or 40 minutes early. That's fine if that happens. Um, they know that there's going to be certain times when I may say this patient's transitioning from general to specialty and I need to bring them back for records. They know what records means. It means that I'm going to take a full series of photographs and now we're going to do some scans in centric relation. It's going to get mounted into three shapes. They know that I'm going to need time to do a digital design. They know after that the patient's going to have a consult where we'll explain everything to them. Yeah. So they understand, the team has to understand this process. And, you know, all too often I, I hear about docs who say, you know, patients in hygiene and the patient goes, oh, the patient's asking about veneers. Great, I've got two hours open tomorrow. And they're going to go in and start prepping for veneers. And they haven't even thought about, like, what's wrong with the smile? Like, there's no clear picture of where we're going. There's no real way to make nice temporaries. When I do a smile design case, I want the temporaries to blow their socks off. Like I want them to look at the mirror and be thrilled with where we're going. And so that only happens with, you know, a, pro a process of data collection, having time to do that, having time to study it, do some designing. We used to wax, now we design and then print the wax up. Yeah. Um, that's what the digital workflows are about, which are unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but, but you, you know, you've listened to me for a long time. The concept really hasn't changed. I still do. I still do my treatment planning first thing in the morning. I'm just now doing it in front of a computer rather than a waxer in my hand. Okay. That's another one. I love this one. So I don't know where it was somewhere around you know, you're 50, right around the 50 mark, you were, you were, you were working the eight to five, you were speaking everywhere and doing the lunch thing. And then we talked about it and you're like, I'm going to give it a try, do the seven to three. And then I think we both said it's America. You can change it if you don't like, it. and then you changed just, just the flow of your day. And I, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm going to, it's one of my favorite. You call me and you go, dude, 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 you got to understand, like, nobody's on the road in the morning. Like, nobody goes to Starbucks. Like, it's so quiet in your office. And no one's pulling on your shirt going, doc, doc, doc. And so at the time, you have your son doing it now. I want you to talk about this process. At the time, you had your chief chairside assistant put, to, put up the case that you were going to be looking at the next morning. Because you teach dentists all over the country co-diagnosis. But the truth of it is, is a lot of times we come flying in on roller skates. We haven't looked at it. And so we're looking at it together for the first time. It just goes better when you sit down. And I'm going to prompt you with this one too. You said, um, it's diagnosis that drives a great practice and the time and the space that you give yourself in these workflows. So can you just talk about the evolution and what you do now and why that works so yeah. well for you? So and there's a couple things that you're kind of hitting on that I think are important. Um, so one of the, one of the, again, metrics that Dr. Dawson used to talk about that used to drive me nuts was he would say you only need about 12 new patients a month to make your practice successful. And, and I used to think about that and I, and I, I tried to do the 12 new patients a month, but when I was a young dentist, a lot of the patients that were come to me, coming to me were kind of healthy, like they needed a filling. They didn't really have occlusal disease. And, and what I started to realize was that what he was actually saying was, the 12 new patients were, that he was saying were people that he was doing advanced records on. They had problems. And, and, and that's something really important to delineate. Like, how are you going to bring the patients in your practice? And for a long time, we taught that you should just always bring everybody in to the doctor first and do an hour and a half exam and do full records and all this stuff. And I tried that. And, and a lot of the patients were turned off by it because they didn't need all that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to 
first look at your patients through the lens of like, what is, when you look at them, what kind of problems do they have? And what are their desires? Like if they have only biologic problems, if they have a little perio and a cavity, but their occlusion's good and they're happy with how their teeth look, that's a general patient in my practice. I can get them to hygiene, they get cleaned up, get the fillings done and love on them for the rest of Because the, there, there's not gonna be a patient that's high maintenance, standard general patient. But if you have somebody who comes in and their teeth are shifting and they've got diastemas, and they don't know how they look and there's six millimeter pockets and there's caries everywhere and huge fillings, like that patient in my mind needs more, I need to think about that a little bit more. I can't just count the number of teeth that need crowns. So I wanna study the occlusion. I wanna have time to look at the x-ray. So, and what I started to realize was if 12 was the number, and Pete actually did the metrics on this, if you do about 12 advanced records patients a month, um, you know, that's maybe three a week, okay? And I'm working three days a week right now. So if I do one a day, like if I have one advanced records patients a day, that means that I am gonna need to do one workup a day, treatment day, and I gotta do one consult a day. Right. Like if I have time to do those three things. So what I started to do is like, okay, well, if I do my advanced records visit first thing in the morning, and I block from seven to say 8.30 in one of my rooms, right now that's only about 20 minutes of my time. Most of that's insistent time, it's photography, it's scanning. I got to do a TMJ occlusal exam. A hygienist does the probing. Um, and if, again, during that half hour, I do a consult on another, another patient, which is somebody that I've worked up, which is the case presentation, I really only have to figure out when I'm going to do my workup. Like, mm -hmm. when am I going to do my treatment planning? And, you know, I found for me, and again, this isn't for everybody, but we work that seven to three schedule. I'm usually finishing up about two, but I come in at six. So from six to about 6.45, I, I walk in and again, my son has sort of queued up what case I'm going to be working on. Used to be on an articulator. Now it's, you know, in my three shake software, I've got the photos, I got the x-rays and I, it's like one of my favorite times of the day because I'm, I'm, I'm treatment planning and, and you said it, great diagnosis, like getting really confident about what is going to be the best plan for this patient is critical for the patient to then accept treatment. Yeah. And, and, and again, if I do say 12 of those, 12 to 14 of those a month, I mean, it, not everybody can do it right now. Right. But if they say, I got to do this and you know, Pete used to call, you know, patients that you might go to hygiene first and they're waiting to do the restorative. That's like an annuity in your practice. At right. some point they're going to be ready to roll. Yeah. Um, I think the important thing too is to note if you're listening, you guys. So a lot of you are thinking, well, wh where would I find time to do this? You're not finding time. So we've we're big fans of a, atomic habits. Like your habit stacking, the most important things in right. times of day. And so I tell other dentists, John, like, yeah, he's not prepping like at seven a.m. That's like the that's like the last thing on your mind is prepping. It's I mean, you're often not prepping until what? 8.39 if you're... Yeah, 8.30 eight, 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 eight is typically because like, because if I can if I think about this, and again, I'm an early bird and you don't have to do these that this way, but like if I, if by eight o'clock, like if by eight o'clock I've worked up a case and I've met a new patient and started records on a patient and I've talked to another one and had a case acceptance, if all that's happened by eight o'clock, you, I mean you want to talk about feeling great and then I can start my dentistry. So, right. and again, at that point, it might be a general dental day, but at, I don't really have to think. I'm just kind of doing procedures. Okay, wait, go back to that. Now, I'm not calling you old. I'm 52. How old are you? 60. You're 60. So, you know how, just talk about how the brain changes as you evolve as a restorative dentist. Like, when you're in your 30s, you can go all day long. You know, you're like, uh, uh, then you get to 40 and you're like, wow, there's a window here. And then you get to be 50 and then your window gets tighter. You know, and I got some docs down south. They got to take a nap at one o'clock. You know, you, you want to be able to think. You use the magic word, think. Like, the thinking yeah. is the piece here, right? Yeah. I remember hearing a great joke. It was it it's, has to do with fishing. And so when you start to fish, you just want to fish, catch a fish. And then you go a little further and then you want to catch a big fish. Yeah. 
and then you want to catch a big fish in a really nice place. <laughs> then you get a little older, and then you just want to catch a big fish, and then at the end, you just want to catch a fish. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so it kind of goes back. And I think with dentistry, what starts to happen, like I'm at a place right now that my wife and I have been frugal, and we've, you know, we've done well with putting money away. Like there's not. Like I'm doing dentistry now because I just love doing dentistry. Mm -hmm. there, there's, and when I was 30, I didn't have a cent. I just had loans. And so I totally get, like I had $140,000 student loans. Doesn't sound like a lot by today's standard, but that was 1988. That was a lot of money back then. It was way, my school loan payment was way more than our mortgage. So I know what that's like. And so I think part of the drive, you're younger, but you're hungrier and you, you, you're lower on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But what's interesting is, is as time has gone on, I do have learned that the more I can think about a case up front, and, and I've done a lot of cases, so I can think through things pretty quickly, but I know that the clearer the picture in my mind of where I'm going, the more profitable I'm going to be in this case, the yeah. smoother it's going to go. And your patient and so, can see that too. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. And so, so I know that like if I, and that's why I, I like doing, I like, you know, a lot of docs will just send the case to the lab and do the design. And I've learned that I can do an eight or 10 unit wax up when I'm treatment planning, I can do it. So if the patient says, yes, I can print it and be ready to roll. So, you know, I used to be that I would kind of do with wax. I, I was okay with it. But if the patient said, yes, the lab had to finish it. Right. And that was a barrier that looked like time. So I, I love that I can do this digitally because it's way more efficient and the contours are so much better. Um, but but it gives me that crystal clear picture of where I'm going. So when I'm sitting down and prepping the case, I remember what side of the tooth I need to take a little bit more off of. Yeah. Like I, when I'm breaking the contact, I know what tooth needs to be a little narrower or wider. So that just translates into more predictive results. Yeah. Now go back and, to this. Oh, wait, wait, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, I was just going to say, and so I think the hardest thing, and I'm going, I'm, you know, my daughter's right here right now where she's starting to transition into it and, and she's realizing how much she doesn't really necessarily see when I'm doing some of these things, but she's now trying to figure out where she's going to do the plan. Like if yeah. she starts out and says, well, maybe one a week, maybe I'm going to look for one a week that I'm going to do records on. When am I going to do this? Because the heart, the challenging part is when you start this, it takes longer because yeah. you, you haven't done as many. And so um, that was probably, that's sort of the challenge. But if you're wanting to have this kind of practice, there is nothing more important than this part of it. Right. It's now the visualization and planning. Okay, so go go into that a little bit more. You mentioned three times a week you're going to be doing that, maybe 12 a month on the advanced record side of things, but not every patient's going to say yes. And so you're going to have a few say yes. And one of the things you said probably 10 years ago is you're like, listen, I only want eight cases on my brain at a yeah. time. Can you explain that? What, what do you what'd you mean by that? Yeah, now I'm going to say four. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what does that not, mean? Not, not, tell not me what, tell no, what, what I'm saying is, is if I've got, if I if I've got these many patients in the queue, they're all going to be at different places. You know, I'm going to be working one up, and then one's going to go to Peria or the hygienist, and then we'll start one, and then we'll be finishing one. So maybe in the mix of from the time we're working up and starting, you know, and finishing, there might be twelve or thirteen cases that are kind of in the process. But I'll say this: once I start executing, like prepping and finishing. I like to keep the window around eight because that's about you're going to be about a six week, you know, four to six week window, depending on how much is going on. Um, but I just really want to be there for the patient. So if something right. goes wrong, that I have time to get that patient in and you start getting too many people in the queue, particularly if you're not finishing them. That's the other thing is that once you start, you want to be able to finish so you can move on to the next one. You get all these people in temporaries and you start having problems with temporaries or you're trying in and remaking temporaries and it just starts to suck all the 
oxygen and profitability out of the practice. All right. So another question, I'm just curious if I'm a young dentist, listen, give me a 30,000 foot view of what a typical week used. Now I know you're working less, you got your daughter in there, but what would a typical week look like for you? Like a Monday, are you pretty much doing aerobic or Tuesday? Like give us an idea of the flow. Yeah. I, for forever, I sort of kind of held, um, my mornings for more profitable, like if I, even if I'm doing aerobic, more aerobic general dental type stuff, it's still from about eight to about 12, I'm going to be doing crowns, maybe a root canal, maybe placing an implant or something large, like one large case. Once 12 hits, then we sort of shift gears for deliveries and operative and things like that. So it even gets even more simple as the day goes on. And, and I'll have patients say to me, like, you know, well, I, you know, could I come in at, you know, could I come at one for you to prep my veneers? And I just look at them and I go, I, you don't want me to be your dentist at one o'clock. And I kind of laugh and then they kind of look serious. And, you know, and I think sometimes we forget that, like we have the ability, like when I, I had cataract surgery last year on an eye that had some damage when I was younger. And I really wanted him to do my procedure. I really wanted it to be done on a Friday. And he goes, well, I do cataracts on Tuesday and Thursday. So that's when I did it. You know I mean? So, I mean, we have control over when we do stuff. 100%. But I, so, so here's my little, what I, my, my goal is if we have a production goal, if I can have worked up a case, talked to a patient, you know, like consult, started, done an advanced records, and met my production goal by noon. Like if all those things have happened by noon, then in the afternoon, everything else is gravy. So, you know, it might be it might be a delivery. I might, from 12 to three, I might just be putting in a lower arch. Like I might, that's when I might have a large delivery. Mm-hmm. But it also could be where we do some operative and some things like that. Honestly, I don't do a lot of operative anymore because I have a dentist with me, my daughter. Yeah. So most of the operative is going to, associates and things like that. But yeah. Now on the topic of cosmetic practice within your practice, talk about the transition from, you know, into the digital workflow, you know, from, um, you know, where you were at, where you're at. And you and I've talked about this. There's never been a better time to be a dentist. And so, I mean, you used to have those cases mounted, get all the force. I mean, now it's just streamlined. You just think about what would happen. I mean, I, I just think about it all the time. Like a patient would have advanced records. We would take alginates. Then we went to polyvinyl, but those would have to go to the lab. We would take a face bow. We would take two wax bite records. And that was a pretty laborious process to do that well. Then it would go to the lab. We vacuum mix stone. We pour the stone. We had to trim the models. You know, it was a couple of days and my assistant's working really diligently to get my stuff you know, mounted, then it would come back and it, like you say, it would go in the box, it would get queued up and when I would work it up in the morning, but I'd put it in the articulator. And a lot of times I'm trial equilibrating. A lot of times I'm putting wax on teeth, getting my, looking at photographs. So now when we go do this digitally with three shapes, I mean, we're still doing the same exam, but we use a leaf gauge to take, we scan the upper and lower arch, take a leaf gauge to take a bite in CR and We'll take another bite in MI, scan an MI. Um, but then my assistants will start taking photographs. My son's waiting, and he'll have that thing on a virtual instrument in about six minutes. Wow. So I'm often really getting a, you know, I'm looking at that often before they leave and have a pretty good idea. You know, if they have implant stuff, we take a cone beam. I'm looking three-dimensionally at bone, like the the visualization we have today, it's just nothing hides. It's so fast. And so, you know, trial equilibration used to be about a 45 minute procedure with a virtual articulator when you close it down to the first point of contact. And then as you close the back teeth penetrate through one another. So if you close it until the front teeth touch, you can look through the teeth, through the, you know, at the opposite side of the arch and and literally see how much tooth structure would be in the away if you equilibrated. Like I know within minutes if it's an equilibration case or if I think I need to do work though. These are things we're teaching docs in our training, but it is absolutely transformed 
the speed at which we can move. Yeah. Um, now, and he's and not so, on. He's not on today. But talk about what Lee gets in this whole yeah. process too. Well, and, and it's interesting watching Lee because we've got about eighty-five docs now that we're coaching um, through a couple different ways, and we'll talk about that at the end. Um, but the the interesting thing is, you know, he supports doctors all the way from the doctors that just want to scan and maybe do, not have the software, and he'll get the software and he can do some of the manipulation and then have maybe a go-to meeting to discuss exactly what they're going to do and then he can ex ex execute the wax up. Or to somebody like working with somebody like me who's doing all the visualization themselves. So when a case is sent to them, he's getting the photographs, he's getting you know, the, the scans of the preps, he's getting the scans of the temps, he's getting the scans of the wax up. You know, our ability to communicate, um, if he's seen something you know, we can go team viewer and I can see exactly what he's seen. So the level of communication between the two of us and maybe the, the two of us and a surgeon, if an implant person's involved, you know, um, the decisions we can make at the level we can make it are unbelievable. And I also think just from the standpoint of just scanning preparations uh, and being able to blow it up. I mean, there's no guesswork. You know whether you got the, you know, the impression or not. You were scanning it, you know, staring at a polyether impression. You could talk yourself into things that weren't there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's a marvelous time. I, you know, I've said it honestly. I've loved dentistry my whole career. I this is the most excited I've ever been about dentistry because the things we're doing now in the digital world were the things that I was dreaming about doing for 15 years. There were a lot of false starts with some different companies where I thought we were there, but we're there now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the thing that I would just say lastly about digital that's really important is don't do digital just to be, do digital. And what I mean by that is if you're gonna go digital, the first thing you wanna make sure is that you're founded in really good principles of occlusion and biology and and, and structural integrity and aesthetics, like you really understand what these goals are, yeah. whether you're working analog or digital. And then when you start looking at a digital workflow, you wanna make sure that the workflow is gonna at least be as good as what you were doing. Like you can still accomplish the same goals. And in my mind, I'd like it to be better. Yeah. I would like to, it to be an improvement if it's not an improvement, it at least should be more efficient. Yeah. Right? And so, and so that's, the, that's, and, and what I'm telling you now is there is nothing that we're doing that isn't, a lot of it is better and more efficient, right. but it's, but it's at least one or the other. Yeah. And, and again, he's not on today, but like you guys will have to go back and listen to the previous podcast that I did with John and Lee. And one of the things you guys said in the last one, which I thought was amazing is like, listen, it's, it's, it was kind of the same concept. Yes, it is a, a shiny tool, but it's a communication tool. Yes. And you don't hear people talk about, they talk about the benefits, you know, the, um, you know, other things. And you guys are like, no, it's a, it improves communication across yeah. the and, board. And again, a lot of it is, you know, we also forget it used properly. It's a huge communication tool with the patient. Yeah. Like, being able to scan and center correlation as well as maximum cuspation and then to toggle between those two just on the scanner and show them the slide and to show them where the interferences are and show them the facets um, and, and instantaneously. And, you know, we used to try to do that on analog articulators and so many of the patients just looked at it like we had a third eye in the middle of our forehead. They just didn't get it. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's bring the concept that Pete gave us so many years ago together with what you're teaching us today. And Pete used to say, I'll go a little bit further. He said, you probably have a practice within your practice. There's probably a million dollars of dentistry in those charts that haven't been talked about, haven't been discussed. Take it to the next level and how that applies to what you just shared with us today. Well, it's the same. It's the same, isn't it? I mean, the thing of it is, is that you know, most of us, and I'm going to aim at the young dentists right now listening, but most general dentists out there, we get so focused on 
looking at the individual teeth or, and a lot of times we're driven by what the patient's complaining about that day. And what Pete taught us was to be thinking about this as a system. Mm-hmm. And whether you, whether you realize it or not, that system, that human being that's attached to the teeth, yeah, they may have occlusal problems you're missing, wear, mobility, migrations, sore muscles. And there's a lot of patients that are unhappy with how their teeth look that might not be talking to you about it. And if you don't have things in your practice, remember that, that I probably shouldn't say the patient's name, but the patient that I used to talk about, we'll call her DF, mm-hmm. where early in my career, I walked into my, my, uh, my hygiene uh, room and you know she had 28 crowns on her teeth that I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And this is a person I was talking to about getting records and I didn't explain to her what that meant. But she went to another dentist because she didn't even know I could do that kind of work. She called you a, just a little patcher. And you were just a I, little patcher. <laughs> she said, I was, she said, Dr. Cranham, you are such a good patcher. I didn't know you could do that kind of work. Wait, and, and she told you this. My at a, heart out. She told you this at a church picnic or something, didn't she? Uh, like, it was actually, it was actually, you're, you have a good memory. It was actually at midnight, midnight mass on oh Christmas Eve. Yeah, about it about ripped my heart out. Yeah. And so I said the rosary 37 times and then decided I was going to learn something. And then I asked her, I said, why didn't you give me the shot? Well, you didn't. So my point is, it happened to me. And you all have these opportunities in your practice. Most patients, most docs say, well, I don't have those kind of patients. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And so you've got to first learn a little bit about it. You have to learn about visualization and you have to learn about smile design, inclusion, and some of these things. You got to learn how to bond porcelain to teeth. So there's things to learn, but man, is it fun. Yeah. It's so fun. And, and on that topic of learning, I want you to talk about this. And guys, if you're listening, like this is one of the best educators in all dentistry. He taught me so much about the mind, you know, and mindset and heart and head of a great restorative dentist. And you're up to some really cool stuff. Now you got two things going on. You got a course coming up and then the overall platform that you guys have. And I'm even going to say, we, we're, we got you coming here pretty soon, which I'm excited, which people have already registered. In the fall. In the yeah. Fall, yeah. So I'm what excited. are you up to now? Yeah. So the, the biggest thing you can go to our website, it's uh, ccdigitaldental.com, which stands for Cranham Culp, digitaldental.com. Um, there's sort of three ways to work with us. Uh, actually four, you could sign up. We do, uh, we're doing eight of these online lectures a year. And there's a, there is a sort of a hall pass that if you want to do a subscription for 149 a month, you can get that. And if you get that, you get all the lectures we've already done, plus the ones that are coming and they're recorded and you can listen to them as many times as you want. For people that are interested in transitioning to digital, uh, we do have an opportunity where we help the, our doctors get the three shape software. And then there's a combination of online training that takes them, that teaches them how to use this lab software. And again, this isn't the software that comes with the trio scanner. It can work with any scanner, but what I want you to think about this software replaces the articulator, the waxer and the handpiece. It's the, it's the, brains that will allow you to visualize three-dimensionally where you're going. And you can make splints in that software. You can make dentures in that software. You can, there's all these different things that will train you how to do, but it is video-based training. And then with that, uh, there's also opportunities to do one-on-one coaching with me. And so what a lot of docs do is they do the video training and then we use uh, Calendly and they jump on a call and we spend 45, 50 minutes going through a case Really interesting watching it because there's older docs that are utilizing this to primarily pick my brain to learn the botanology of the software. But we have a lot of younger docs that really learn the software rapidly, but I'm teaching occlusion aesthetics. You know, we're, we're coaching on, on cases. And what's so exciting, you talk about communication, I can come right into their computer and we can be looking at the virtual instrument and making decisions about teeth, where teeth go and looking at x-rays and photographs. It's just an unbelievable, it's like we're sitting right next to each other and they could be in you know, Timbuktu. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. So check out the website. We also have a course for people that wanna kick the tires a little bit. We've got a course in May called Digital Immersion, uh, two-day class. And that 
class. If you come, it's just limited to 12. We got a couple spots left. And that one, you'll have a computer for yourself and all the hands-on will be working through cases, but utilizing the software to see if you like it. That's really why we do that class to see if you want to invest in this. But, uh, but that's been a popular one because you can come and really apply these, uh, these principles of aesthetics uh, and function and really see how we can do it in a digital world. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And if you're listening on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Apple, you can just flip up to the show notes. You're going to see there's a link in there for all the things that John mentioned. Check it out. I promise you it'll be one of the best decisions you make. So, John, thanks for being on, brother. Um, thank thank your wife for letting her, you know, me borrow you for a while. I just, uh, I love this. She's stuff. actually, she's probably paying you. I, you know, I'm probably. <laughs> Tell her it's working. It's working great. Yeah. So uh, all right. it's all good. And so uh, thanks for being on. Stick around. We say goodbye to everybody else. But uh, thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hey, if you enjoyed today, which I know you did, just do us a favor. Hit the share button. Share this with your friends. Uh, keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see on the show. We're lining them all up. This is going to be an amazing spring, summer, and fall. And um, if you would, do us a favor. Hit the uh, review button because we love getting like-minded people just like you. I love this profession. And our job is to bring you the best from the best. And that happened today. So thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep watching the Best Practices Show. You guys enjoy your day. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching the Best Practices Show.